Hello all, uh, welcome to another episode of uh, Directive Stories. I'm excited uh, for this particular story, uh, which is a little close to my heart. And uh, today we have a versatile and uh, insightful mental health program leader, an innovator who is also creating that history of driving the change in the community. He's integrating uh, cutting edge programs for individuals with substance abuse, and also people who are in need of counseling services, uh, people who need that evidence-based treatment uh, approaches, or uh, probably training um, with kind of uh, high quality care. So today we are joined by an accomplished speaker, uh, a senior level professional uh, who had demonstrated uh, mental health expertise within the community, within the various institutions and organizations uh, who is also into career development, uh, who had helped many groups. He also facilitated many workshops. He supervised and managed uh, even sex offense uh, at the workplace. So let's uh, hear it from uh, uh, Thurman Brown. Please welcome Thurman Brown, our guest for today. Welcome Thurman Brown. Hey, hello everybody. How you guys doing out there? Okay, so uh, thank you, Thurman Brown, for accepting this invite to be one of our speakers. Mm -hmm. First of all, I would say happy Social Work Month. Mm, uh, not a social worker, but yeah. It's but again, uh, uh, March being the work of uh, social, um, for all the social workers out there, uh, again, it's one of the uh, most important things for um, uh, for mm -hmm. us, because we are connecting clinicians, we have lots of therapists, counselors, in fact. Uh, so could you please share us uh, your journey, uh, Thurman Brown, as to uh, how how was your childhood and how did you become a coach? Could you please uh, share it, uh, share your journey for our audience out here? Uh, yes, I will. You know, I've, I've always told uh, people who I've counseled that, uh, or people who I've supervised that don't put nothing out there if you haven't processed it yourself. So I'm going to be transparent with you guys and I'm going to uh, tell you some things about me that I have processed. I'm still okay. struggling, but you know, it is what it is. But uh, the childhood journey, well, I will say this, uh, you know, I can remember as far back as five, you know, I grew up with a mother, my father, uh, New York City. Uh, my father was, you know, ultimately he died of AIDS. He was the, uh, he was my father first and foremost, but he had a disease, okay. substance abuse. He died of AIDS at the uh, age of 40 because he shared needles. But my first memories of him is <clears throat> domestic violence. You know, we would hear, you know, as a five-year-old, the sound of, you know, flesh slapping against flesh and his, you know, manly voice uh, screaming at my mom. So, you know, I can remember standing behind doors with my uh, two siblings, you know, crying and stuff like that. So, 
you know, those are my first memories of my father. Then my mother uh, separated from him, took us to North Carolina, and we began living a different kind of life in a different environment. I mean, in, in North Carolina, I mean, cows and, you know, uh, grass and stuff like that. It was totally foreign. Uh, but I remember her to be uh, a nurse's aide. So, and I remember her to be a loving woman. She married a serviceman, James Williams, and he transitioned out of the service. And I guess he was driving uh, the big 18-wheeler trucks because I remember seeing those in the yard down there. But ultimately, my mom uh, succumbed to alcoholism and really uh, one domestic violence relationship after the other. James wasn't a domestic violence uh, guy, but you know, well, uh, when James would go off on these uh, long runs, you know, my mother, she's a young woman, she played in the field. So she's drinking alcohol and, you know, uh, entertaining folks. So ultimately, you know, it was my mom's, me, my brother, and my sister. And alcoholism was a really, really severe thing in our household to the point where, you know, uh, my moms would bring men home who would uh, molest her drunk body. You know, basically, I, I, I call it rape, but we would have to hover over her in order to keep these individuals, you know, away from her to the, to the extent that we could. So ultimately, you know, at 13, I came back to my father because my mother couldn't handle three kids. She was on public assistance. So the uh, food stamps and monies that she was getting monthly would go towards alcohol. So we would be left to, you know, go to family members, you know, in the summertime, canned food or, you know, surviving. That way, when I was, uh, you know, uh, 12, 13 years old, I used to collect cans. And on the can, it used to always say no deposit, no return. It was worth five cents. So 20 cans would be a dollar. And that's a dollar worth of bologna or something wow. to that effect. Uh, but... That taught me something about people, you know, collecting cans. If because someone could throw a can out of a car door and it could land in the bushes in the brow patch or whatever the case may be, you know, my job is to reach my hand in there, whether it's a snake or a porcupine or whatever kind of animal may be there to, you know, uh, to redeem that can. Because if I clean the can off and I could redeem it for five cents, so. People are that way, I believe, to some degree, once they are on substances. You know, as a counselor, my job is to help clean people off, help them find themselves, because if you don't make a deposit, you don't invest in their life, you can't get a return. So, you know, my philosophy has evolved from that childhood experience. So it was rough and tumble, but, you know, we are who we are, and, you know, life is the way it is for, you know, folks. And I don't, you know, it was kind of tough, but I look back, my moms and my father, they did the best they could with what they had. So, you know, we moved forward from there. Yeah. So was this back in 90s, Thurman? Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Again, being vulnerable um, in the current scenario, sharing a story which had uh, transformed uh, your parents. In fact, be it um, your mother or be it with respect to uh, what you mentioned about James William. Yeah. So was this in 90s or was this in no, 80s? 
I'm a, I'm a 70s child, so I, I was born in 65. So all oh. of this was taking place in the 70s. And yeah, because I came back to New York City in 1975. I was uh, um, 13, 14 years old. No, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so, so definitely, I mean, um, by looking at you, I thought you are not that old, but uh, it, it, uh, thank you so much. So. So uh, what you shared is amazing. If you like the way you said, if you can't make a deposit, you can't get a return. That's also again uh, with the way we engage with people uh, socially now. Uh, again, to create that conversation or to create that engagement, or if you need uh, happy smiles, or if you need happy comments or happy shares, uh, people are so addicted now. I would say the 21st century uh, addiction. Uh, is again the gadgets which we have out there mm -hmm. people who are glued so the new alcoholism I, I would say or abuse would be the kind of addiction which we have to digital elements probably the many who might disagree to this but it's changing the way we connect it's changing the way we do teletherapy in short so um, could you share as to uh, how how you became uh, a coach, how did you start uh, Thurman Brown Consultant? So uh, what made you start this business? Because uh, earlier you worked uh, in the healthcare space or probably helping clients uh, in the healthcare space. What made you come up, uh, start this business or how did you become an entrepreneur? Well, I had uh, I had some experiences with being a you know manager or director of programs. And what I saw was uh, like there was not a lot of efficiency there. You know, you can look at uh, counselors and I worked at a uh, medication assistant treatment program, uh, VIP community services. It was a certified behavioral health clinic. Uh, I worked in the OTP department. So we had 1400 uh, medication assistant treatment uh, clients. These clients did methadone, suboxone and Vivitrol. So my job was to increase access to services to take this uh, certified behavioral health clinic and turn it into a CODI or okay. a center for uh, treatment innovation. And what I saw when we started putting processes in place, processes within process, existing processes, I began to notice that a lot of the clients was going through their process without meaningful engagement. Some clients didn't, uh, you know, uh, have counselors. Some clients didn't. You know, uh, uh, they wasn't receiving the kind of care that they should have been entitled to going through a program. So, and when I looked at that, I saw that my role would be to really set procedures and processes in place that would re-engage people into treatment. So ultimately I took that knowledge and knowledge that I had gathered from uh, other roles that I had. And I thought to myself, I said, you know what? You know, I'm going to create a consulting firm, a consulting company where I could sell content because I know that in New York State, I was also a resident director of a facility called Education Alliance. And it was a therapeutic community that had two residential uh, treatment programs. My job was to come in and consolidate both of them and create a new uh, program, which would be an 820 residential redesign. So uh, A20 residential redesign has three elements, stabilization, 
stabilization is really uh, a medical model where folks who may be experiencing withdrawal symptoms coming out of detox and that kind of thing where they come into a residential setting and they will be monitored for a two week period of time to see whether or not they're ready to transition into rehabilitation. But that's only done through uh, the medical uh, uh, part of the uh, agency. But once a, a client is transitioned into the rehabilitation stage, then that client will be going full fledged to uh, group and individualized treatment, uh, having access to a social worker or a substance abuse counselor and going through that process. So a lot of, it was, I think at that time in uh, 2016, it wasn't yeah. a lot of uh, programs that had expertise in 820 residential redesign. So I took that information. I had been in this program for like two years. So helping design it. So I took that information. I said, you know what? So I'm gonna start a uh, consulting uh and and sell that kind of information along with you know really trainings and that kind of expertise because i knew that people were disconnected in their job space in terms of you know having real access to a supervisor and that kind of thing so i wanted to change the uh paradigm and bring something different to the table awesome uh, thank you so much, uh, Thurman, for sharing that. In fact, uh, the one one big question which I have is, how do you do? Uh, what makes you keep going with the kind of stuff which you are doing? Because uh, recently, I'd seen uh, one of your LinkedIn posts where you spent close to fifty-two hours on um, <laughs> a life coaching certification. I'm like, where where do we have the time? Because in the pandemic, uh, people are so uh, Everybody's in a roller coaster ride with their own thoughts. But how do you how do you stay focused uh, to deliver the best for your clients? Well, you have to. I, I, I look at it this way because I don't have a licensed clinical social worker uh, licensure. I need to have other tools that I can work with. So I was talking to uh, uh, I do uh, 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 therapist for black males with Amira Crawford. Uh, she owns this uh, agency that does therapy for black males and, and black females. So we had, uh, she had a dilemma. The dilemma was we were getting clients who were out of state who wanted couple therapy. So we needed to figure out a way to, uh, we didn't want to turn these people away. So the only way we could do it is that I would get training in life coaching because I could provide uh, life coaching uh, uh, services, you know? So in that way, we can really uh, talk to the couples who had substance abuse problems. In that way, we can reach, it would be legal for me to uh, give counseling services to uh, couples if I had the 52 hour certification. So I had to, uh, you know, uh, put the time in, in order to uh, make the thing happen because it made good business sense, and it also gave me the opportunity to leverage some of the uh, the expertise and some of the knowledge that I have in these areas in the couple space. Because I have did, I have done a family association kind of a, a therapy. I've also, you know, trained in craft, 
even though I didn't get certified in it. I went through all of the uh, craft modules. So I said, you know what? I'm going to put the 52-hour uh, uh, certification under my belt so that way I can have uh, a wider pool of people that I can provide services to. Okay. Awesome, Thurman. Um, so now I see that it's part of uh, your job to complete that 52 hours. Um, again, with respect to other certifications and uh, learnings, because it's an ongoing journey. Uh, mm -hmm. Normally, when you deal with adults, somebody who is uh, with substance abuse or with alcohol abuse, how do you handle them? Because they are not children. Uh, we can't tell them uh, saying uh, we can't obviously with the kind of language there shouldn't be any cursing or we shouldn't be saying them strictly but how do you deal what what is the step-by-step -step methodology or do you have any uh, secret sauce any uh, magic recipe i would say how do you how do you cope up with the step-by-step -step methodology well i think that you know counselors i rely on uh my own training and when i talk to folks i think that one of the best uh, ways to approach people in an evidence-based way, I choose uh, motivational interviewing because it gives me so many different tools that I can use in the engagement process. Because with me, first of all, you got to be genuine when you uh, talk to people. So people want to hear somebody that's empathetic to uh, what their situation is. So one of my goals is to always to see the situation clearly and help people to identify what it is that they want out of their situation. So uh, motivational interviewing helps me to explore discrepancies in a respectful kind of way. You know, it helps me to rephrase exactly what it is that the client is saying so that way they can know that I'm actually trying to understand what it is that they're trying to say. And you put your active listening skills together. It's more components than that, but to me, really, in order to have retention or keep a client coming back the next day, you really need to have a meaningful engagement with the person because don't nobody want to come back and talk to someone who's going to uh, be pulling their hands out and, and, and making them feel worse than they already feel. So my job is to really develop an alliance. You know, I'm not your, I'm not your homeboy, I'm not your homegirl, you know, but I am someone who wants to help you in this, uh, discovery of what are your issues because i always believe that the origin of trauma is really probably some of uh it would explain a lot of substance use disorder so i want to ultimately have a wide-ranging conversation with people until we can begin to narrow down what the issues really are so i use the tools in my toolkit okay and um, so what would be the uh, essential uh, items or essential things for um, the road to recovery? Um, obviously, uh, uh, people who would get on a one-on-one -on -one discovery call or a consultation with uh, Thurman Consulting would know the um, things which are there in the toolkit. Uh, but what would one need um, apart from the coaching fee or uh, the therapy time? What would they need on the road to recovery? I think that they would need to be able to tap into the confidence to take it one moment at a time. You know, just to really be able to say, hey, you know, for the next hour, I won't use. Because we can start there, you know, for the next uh 
you know, seven hours I won't use. And I'll begin to really start thinking about other things that could distract me from my cravings or cues to use. Because when I'm with a client, I want to be able to develop almost immediately a relapse prevention plan. How do we avoid not using? So I want the client to identify some of the things that would really want to make them begin to use again. So we want to develop a, a, a contingency plan. You know, uh, relapse for some folks is a part of the equation, but it don't have to be for everybody. So I'm one of those counselors who harm reduction is a part of the equation. So a relapse doesn't necessarily mean that it's the end of the world. And I, I need for a client to understand that. We just need to get back on point and make some commitments to ourselves. And it's really about honoring ourselves. The best life that you can possibly have is around the corner, but you got to not be exhausted. You got to get around the corner. And that's one moment at a time. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So there should be this acceptance from the client. Uh, there is this trust in the way you communicate and how the conversation proceeds. Awesome. I guess um, definitely um, anybody out there who wants to uh, get in, um, uh, probably trying to be a better version of themselves, be it with substance abuse or with drug abuse, I guess definitely they can go through the uh, the strategic points and uh, step forward. So you've been doing this for over 19 years as, um, again, the bio profile which I've been going through. But what was your first job like? Uh, what did you do uh, at the beginning of your career, right out of college? What was your first job? Well, my first job was... Uh... Uh, fresh out of uh, substance abuse training, I had a, uh, his name is Lawrence Porter. He was my uh, advisor. So he came to me one day. He said, uh, he said, Thurman, because uh, I was doing the 350 hours in order to get the KSAT certification. So what he said, oh, God. he said, 350 hey, hours? Yeah, 350 wow. hours in the 12 core function of counseling. So, Whoa. but in this particular program, they also had an uh, internship. So he says, I have an intern uh, project for you because I had did some work with as a counselor aide with uh, sex offenders. So he said that there was this place called Metropolitan Corporation for Life Skills. It was a sex offender modality that was looking for trainees to conduct groups. Would I be interested in uh, working uh, with sex offenders? So I said, sure. Because I'm, you know, of the mindset that's, you know, I believe that sex offense is an addiction as well. You know, so I put those things in that category. So he said, I think that you're fit for uh, this particular, uh, you know, trainee assignment. Would you like? And I went there and I was there under Kristen uh, Clark for about two months with the director of the program. And the funny thing is she was like, hey, Thurman, I like the way you conduct groups. Would you like to uh, transition from an intern to an employee? And wow. I was like, well, because I, I was just there to accumulate hours. So I was, then I was, she said, I give you two thousand dollars a month. So I'm looking at it like, okay, I'm just I came in the door just to accumulate my hours for an internship. So now she's willing to pay me two thousand dollars a month. Sure, I'll take that. <laughs> so that's where 
it really all started. So you started, uh, okay, so you you were in your 20s or uh, when was this like? No, that was, I was, I was, that was later on. I really started to, I used to, uh, let me take it back. Uh, I, a lot of folks don't know this about my bio or about me, but I have put it out there. I was wrongfully convicted. Stayed oh. inside of uh, incarceration for 12 years, nine months and 17 days. And in that process, when I went inside of uh, our corrections, and they are, you know, we we dealing with it, so it's, it's it is what it is. But it was a wrongful conviction, and and that stands. So, but while inside, I got my GED. I started going to college, but I met someone who got me in contact with the Department of Labor. So I became a counselor's aide while inside, and I worked inside the Department of Corrections while uh, addressing my issues as a, a transitional services counselor. And in one particular jail, 90% of the population were sex offenders, but they needed 10% of the population, and I was part of the 10%, to actually do the programming and running the uh, 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 jail for them. So. I ended up in that kind of situation. So I stayed inside of transitional services from a counselor's aide to ultimately becoming the residential director. So as the residential director, it gave me the opportunity to prepare uh, 17 counselors or counselor's aide for group therapy, uh, parole, preparing guys to transition from, you know, coming inside prison to going on parole and doing communication and all those kind of things. So that's where my original exposure to sex offenders came into play. And my, uh, uh, when I was, you know, out in the street and I started going to school in the street and my uh, uh, intake person, Mr. Porter, he said, look, because you had this experience while incarcerated, I think that you're suited for the situation that I want to put you in as an internship. So do you think that you can handle that? And I said, well, you know, I developed a sense of, uh, I had to first get over my biases. So I did that while I was inside, while I was, you know, wrongfully incarcerated. I got over those biases, but once I transitioned out and I was home and I started going to college, getting my bachelor's degree and my master's degree and working at the same time, I was able to transition into an internship that really helped me to build uh, my career later on. Wow, awesome. Uh, this reminds me of uh, Will Smith's movie. I don't know if you had watched it, The Pursuit of uh, Happiness. I don't know, did you get to watch it? I've, I've seen it. Uh, okay, so I mean, your story can be another biopic. Uh, uh, in fact, that reminds me of uh, Chris Gardner, uh, who says that don't ever let someone tell you that you can't do something or you got a dream, you got to protect it. And uh, the lines which I'm just reading, people can't do something themselves. They want to tell you that you, you can't do it. You want something, go get it, period. Well, you can uh, become really... Uh disabled by the injustice of, his all, of it all, or you can say to yourself, you know what? 
you know, ultimately, you know, there's an arc. Justice is going to prevail. And I, and I, you know, I absolutely believe that. And not only do I believe it, I'm going to make sure. So I participate in that process. But simultaneously, I still need to work on things about me because of how I came up, the things that has influenced me, the things that has had an impression on me. So rehabilitation for me was something that I had to really invest in. No deposit, no return. So when I went inside of the uh, uh, corrections, I had a fourth grade reading and comprehension level. You know, today I have a master's degree. I run my own business and I train psychologists, social workers and counselors to be, you know, more effective in the things that they do. So I don't never allow folks to determine who I am and what I can and cannot be because I know that insurmountable odds they can be overcame yeah that's, that's right what I to uh my clients i you know i i don't have to disclose uh who i am because that's not a part of my counseling techniques you know but i exude the kind of confidence that you know help a, a client know that hey listen man if i can get through this you can get through this you just got to be willing to take a hit and keep moving forward. A boxer has to be willing to take a hit and keep moving forward. That's the only way you're going to become the champion of your circumstances. Wow, I I, I love this line. <laughs> the only way to become a champion of your circumstances uh, is to again go through our barriers. So, who are the most uh, influential people to you? Or if you have to pick three people who had been uh, most influential to you, who who would who would that be? I think uh, you know, uh, well, Malcolm X helped me to read and write again. Uh, so I was certainly inspired by uh, the Malcolm X autobiography that was written by Alex Haley. But I've also uh, think that Robin Ludlum uh, was another person who. While I was incarcerated, Robin Ludlum wrote books about espionage. I was able to absorb myself into his, his work, and I was able to see Amsterdam, Paris, and all of these different places around the globe and all the espionage and entry through his eyes. And I mean, for years, I mean, I used to absorb these books, like, and it helped me to survive my surroundings. So Robin Ludlum, Malcolm X, and I just think that just people in general, just watching people and see how they struggle and how they overcome things, you know, was a big inspiration because, you know, people are doing far worse than I could ever have been subjected to, and they still manage to praise God and move forward. So that's what I would say. I don't, I don't know, but that was, that's what I would say. Okay. Um, awesome. Thank you for sharing uh, those authors. And if you had to go back, if you had to turn back the time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell? What would you tell him, or what would you tell yourself? Well, you know what? It was, it's a funny thing about the 18-year-old. The 18-year-old was a drug seller at the time when my father oh. was uh, really suffering from AIDS. And, you know, I, I told my grandmother one day, 
you know, we were sitting at the table. I said, yeah, I saw daddy. You know, he's walking down the street. My father was in a state of dementia. So she said, well, why come you didn't put him in the cab and send him home? I, you know, and I said, well, why would I do that? Because I felt that that 18-year-old felt this way. If people see my father as a drug addict and, you know, almost ready to die, I'm out here hustling, you know, selling cocaine 100 miles an hour. They're going to think that they can treat me like they treated him. So I was so dialed into that code that when my father walked past me, I just let him walk past me like he wasn't my father because he had fell into the condition that he fell into. So if I could tell that 18 year old something, I would say to him, you know, you, you carried a lot of guilt with you because you didn't even want to touch your father when your grandmother said, pick him up, let's take him to the hospital because he's getting ready to die. And I'm afraid of the AIDS because I don't know if I touch him, is he gonna kill me? So I would say to that 18 year old, you know, forgive yourself. Okay. Again, forgive yourself. Okay. Awesome. And uh, so with respect to all the people uh, who are going through the struggle, who are going through the challenges now, the last one year, March 2022, March 2021, right now, uh, everybody has um, everybody has been going through that toughest journeys, uh, getting locked down or being in quarantine. Uh, everything accelerated. Things had tripled or quadrupled. Uh, how do you do you do teletherapy for your clients? How do you handle remotely people with abuse? Well, we do uh, uh, doxy uh, doxy. Dot me. It's a free platform where you can do basically uh, telehealth. Uh, you can talk to clients in a confidential space, you know. But I do know that people are wrestling with. See, some folks, a lot of people, I would say the majority of people in the country don't know absolutely nothing about isolation. You know, I've been someone who's been in a special housing unit in in the box for ninety days, looking at a fluorescent light. So. Prison has taught me about social distancing in the way that I look at COVID-19 now. It doesn't affect me in the same way that it affects my wife, my family, or the other people around because they're used to doing things. I'm used to just sitting in the room with my toilet and, you know, reading the book. So that kind of quietness, I'm able to sit with that. And I know that a lot of people are not able to sit with that. So they will you know, uh, seek the substances, you know, the mood altering drugs in order to cope with, you know, that inability not to cope with something. So people are always running to, you know, some other thing for refuge when they basically need to set with themselves. So when I talk to people doing telehealth, I try to gently get to that, you know, to that place where, you know, I'm like, hey, well, what is it all about? You know, why? Are you, you know, in front of the liquor store with your hand out reaching for the bottle? There has to be some kind of explanation as to why you want to smoke weed and feel differently because that artificial sense of self is telling you, you know, in that I would call it an abuse relationship, I'll make you feel good if you continue to use me. But as soon as you want to put that thing down, it's going to beat you up. 
and then tell you, I'm sorry, use me again. So I try to get people to understand that substances are spirits, you know, and these, these spirits will come under attack when you sit across the table from me and we start talking because I'm going to aggravate that spirit because that spirit is going to say, this guy wants you to stop using or want to encourage you to stop using, but I need for you to go cop. So it's just a question of in the intermedium, what kind of decision are you gonna make about you know uh, how you feel? And my thing is I wanna talk about how a person feels so that way they can really begin to uh, say, well, you, you are in control of your feelings. You just need to get past this, this rough patch. The, okay, that's that's again um, to keep the spark uh, of uh, being de-addicted. Uh, that's awesome. In fact, is it the same uh, platform, Doxy, Doxy.me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. D O X Y. Okay, okay. So if I if I am um, uh, a victim of uh, drug abuse or substance abuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, how, how do you how do you begin? As in, um, I know for sure that affirmations or positive thinking will not work, uh, definitely. Uh, but if you have to uh, show something from your toolkit as a sample, what would that be? As in, I'm a little excited, a little curious, I should say. Uh, what would that one thing be? Um, um, how, how do you? Um, like, is there a magic wand or how do you do it if, <laughs> I, uh, if I'm a, I would ask the client, you know, one question. I said, if there is something that you could get out of treatment, what would that be? If there was something that, if you, if you could say help and there was a place where you can actually get that help, what would that help look like for you? I mean, what is it that you want? Because, you know, there may be that that you that's underneath all the rest of the stuff that's taking place that's saying, you know what, I don't like the condition that I'm in. And I want to, you know, really start to address that. What does that look like? How can I help you, you know, begin to move some of that stuff around so we can see you a little closer? Because oh, okay. that's just, to me, it's really about people surfacing. Because the drugs, the the brutality of you know being addicted and all the rest of these things have covered you up, and we need to really find you. So how can we be true to you? Where you at? Yeah, that's deep. That's deep. As in uh, people who need the transformation will certainly uh, look for better. But again, the root cause of all these addictions are on their road to recovery. Everything falls down to uh, their financial literacy or their financial earnings, which could be uh, weekly or um, bi-weekly or monthly. Uh, now, for people who are receiving the uh, uh, benefit from the government, I guess it's a different game altogether. Well, it um, may be deeper than that. It may be as, as simple as this. What it ain't about because to me, materialism is not about the money or the coins or riches of gold, you know, silver and gold. I don't think it's about that. What I think it's really about is I exclaim, what has made you feel bad about yourself? How oh. that's the place that we want to get because you know, there is a, a parable in the uh in the Bible where 
uh, there is a great gate and there is a, a, a bum there begging for alms, begging people for change, food or whatever. And the disciples come by and the uh, bums ask the disciples for, you know, coins and stuff like that. And one of the disciples said, silver and gold, I have not. But what I do have, I give to you freely. Pick up your mat and walk. So what he gave to the person in Christ's word was faith and hope and hope. He didn't give them coins. He didn't give them food. And I know that people need these things. But when people come to treatment, they don't need money. They don't need a check. They need to check themselves and say, hey, what made you feel bad? And how can we get you back in touch with that person to make you feel better? How can we get you back there? That's what I have to give to uh, my clients. I don't have silver and gold. Okay. And this also reminds me of a few marriage and family therapists because I know how my parents were at home uh, as a child, like the way you mentioned, 13-year-old uh, Thurman Brown, uh, probably uh, as a child, uh, you were uh, standing behind your door and watching your uh, dad the same way I was also picturing or visualizing my story. Even uh, every child, I guess, would be going through a similar journey and this reminds me of uh, the marriage and family therapist now one of the biggest reasons are um, a, a, the best way to have a happy life again i learned this from one of my mentors if you need a happy life you need happy wife <laughs> uh, that, it's like if your spouse is happy everything else in life will be happy as in be it your career be it uh, uh, the things which you want to achieve professionally, personally. Uh, uh, I mean, the world becomes a much happier place is what he taught me. Uh, and um, the way you mentioned, um, people don't need checks or coins or gold or silver. Again, people need a ray of hope. That ray of hope can be uh, anything, um, but awesome. In fact, thank you so much, Thurman, for sharing this. So this let's, let's uh, quickly, uh, I've got a few questions before we wrap this. Okay. Uh, so that we got awesome uh, pieces of content out there for our newsletter too. If you want to make this world a better place, do we need to make um, everybody who's going through substance abuse or alcohol abuse, um, make them all clean? Or how do you make this world a better place? Well, my last few years have been spent on creating or increasing access to services. So... You know, it's one thing to have services out there, but it's a whole entirely different thing for people to really take advantage of the services that's out there. So I would like to amplify uh, health care to the point to where people can hear that you don't have to go on suffering all of these ills because some of them can be addressed. But you got the habit within yourself to walk through the doors and say, I need help. So we do have a bureaucracies and all the rest of that that's really just out the snacks and not really responsive to people. We still have to invite people to come in to the safety net, invite people to take advantage of uh, Medicaid or whatever there is out there that's going to help people become more healthier. And then we can start figuring out, you know, uh, the rest of this happy place that the world could gravitate towards. But first, we need to start getting people 
in the place to where they can see their situation more clearly. Yeah, that that definitely brings uh, better clarity. Uh, so again, this clarity is like the way you put it. Uh, if you can't make a deposit, you can't get a return. I guess that comes only with a coach. <laughs> and uh, that's where I see, uh, okay, let me flash the Thurman uh, consultant on the screen. Uh, so if anybody had to reach you out uh, through social media, which is the best place uh, they can reach your Thurman? Well, you can, I'm definitely on LinkedIn every day, you know, but you can certainly uh, 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 reach uh, Thurman Brown Consultants. You would see my email there. You see my telephone number there. Uh, you email me and I will respond to your email. And in that response, you will have linked to everything that I do. But I certainly will you know, circle back with you and, you know, try to help you as best way as I possibly can. Awesome. And, um, uh, okay. I thought probably, um, let me, let me, I'm just trying to, uh, see if there's, there's anything, uh, which I need to, uh, ask, uh, again, uh, to improve, uh, whatever uh, people are going through with respect to uh, de-addiction or on the road to recovery, are there any ways we can remove the barriers? Uh, obviously, there should be client acceptance. Uh, but uh, uh, apart from your toolkit, now, for people who reach out on the website, thermanbrownconsultant.com, do they have any resources out there, like for uh, people to take away or... Well, it depends on what country you're in. It depends on what state you're in. If you was you within the uh, United States, because you know one of the uh, referrals are are always there. And referrals are free. Like with uh, 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 therapy for black males, you get a 15 minute uh, free consultation. So you can always call me up there on Doxy Me, and we will uh, give you a 15 minute uh, consultation and say, well, this is what your options is based on what you just said to me, and it doesn't necessarily mean that that option will be me. Oh, okay. You know, so I, I will give you, like I said, I'm, I give you information. Oh, okay. Thank you so much, uh, Thurman, um, for the 45 minutes of golden time. Again, uh, on the discovery call or 15-minute free consultation, normally people fear that there would be lots of pitching uh, people or online, be it uh, teletherapy or uh, with respect to telemedicine, one of the biggest fears out there for many people who are taking out the service, uh, the fear people selling online. But I see that uh, with the kind of content which you have already shared and uh, a couple of other um, content which I, uh, which I have seen on your LinkedIn, thank you so much for uh, whatever you're doing for the community. And uh, thank you so much for bringing this to our newsletter, our monthly newsletter, which we'll put it across to clinicians at DirectShifts. And um, we will see you in another episode of DirectShift Stories. Do you have any more questions for me, Thurman? Like, no, I, you know, I just uh, I thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to uh, do therapy with y'all <laughs> because it's not really, isn't it? To me, it's you know, I tell my clients, I say, look. I do treatment every day. I just call it work. But what you don't realize is that, you know, as I talk to you and help you through your process, I'm also revisiting my stuff 
at the same time. And I'm looking at how you are strong enough to, you know, make these decisions. And I'm saying, hey, I can use this information for myself as well. So there's always that give and take out of relationships. So I love sitting down talking to people because I walk away from the encounter feeling strengthened in my resolve to live one day at a time. And I'm helping them to, you know, live that one moment at a time. So the relationship grows off of one another. So I thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to share that philosophy with your audience. Thank you, Thurman. Um, in fact, in this particular story or in this podcast, you reminded me of uh, Les Brown too. Uh, I don't know if you heard about, you heard about Les Brown? I know who he is. Yeah, I, like you reminded me in few of the words or a few of the quotes which you mentioned, you reminded me like the way he speaks and you reminded me about the pursuit of happiness, uh, the way the you narrated the story. It's uh, it's inspirational for me. I had little goosebumps, but uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. So for all the viewers, uh, in case if anybody is watching uh, the replay, you can also listen to this on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts uh, within 24 hours from now. Uh, this will also get published on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And the live recordings will be shared. Uh, again, it will be through Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. So do share in your feedback and we will catch you with another episode of Direct Shift Stories uh, with another guest uh, sometime next week. Thank you, Thurman. Thank you so much Thanks, for man. being here. Bye-bye. Take Thank care. Thank you. Bye.